Hey everybody, could this be one of the last times I have to sit at home and preach into a camera? Kind of hope so, but but we'll we'll take it by ear. We'll play it safe. Have you heard that old Chinese proverb or blessing? Um, May you live in interesting times. These are nothing if not interesting times, right? Well, I did a little investigation into that quote. It turns out the loose translation of that saying in Chinese was actually a curse. (laughs) The implication was that uninteresting times are typically of peace and tranquility and is much more of a blessing than so-called interesting times. Well, we have had years of peace and tranquility, and we are in a different season these days. And so in this series, uh, Can You Hear Me Now? We're asking the question, what might God be saying to us in these interesting times? If you've been tracking with us for a few months, you'll, you'll remember the word apocalypse or apocalyptic actually means a revealing, a, a pulling of back of the curtain, a revelation. So what might God be revealing to us in these days? I am not about to speak on behalf of God. No way, no how. But my ears are open in a way they haven't been in a long time. And I feel like God is speaking. You know, right now, God has our attention like never before, doesn't he? And and I think I need to say this every week. God didn't make the virus. He didn't cause the virus. He gets no pleasure from the virus. But, But could it be he could use this pandemic with all of the chaos and all the change to talk to us. And I think if God gets our attention, he might just want to use that attention span to say something. Two weeks ago, we talked about what God might be wanting to say about this temporal life, the temporal nature of our, of this physical life, you know, the shortness of it in relationship to eternity. We talked about the illustration of the rope, right? Last week, we talked about what God might be revealing to us about racial reconciliation in these volatile and heartbreaking days. And so if, if last week wasn't tough enough, controversial enough, how about this one? Would you think with me about what God might be wanting to say to us financially Could he be saying to you that you have put too much hope and trust and faith in your money and your job and the economy than you have in him? Here's what Jesus had to say about this. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus said, we have one of two choices. We will 
invest in the things of God or we will invest in the things of the world. We'll invest in this world or we'll invest in heaven. And, and Jesus makes it clear that one is a good investment and one ain't. Here's how the Bible brings the reminder in, in Psalms. It says, people who boast of their wealth don't understand they will die just like animals. Oof. If, if I said the name uh, John D. Rockefeller, would that resonate with anybody? Maybe the older you are, the more so. But if you adjusted for inflation, Rockefeller was considered the wealthiest American who ever lived. The, the richest man in modern history. Now, right now, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, clearly the, the richest individual person in the world. He's got a net worth of around $149 billion. It actually went up $30 billion since the beginning of the pandemic. It'll, it'll, it'll probably go up another billion before this talk is over. Well, Rockefeller's wealth, when adjusted for inflation, was actually more than $400 billion. He made his money in oil and at the peak controlled 90% of the American oil industry. And when Rockefeller died, someone asked his accountant, how much did John D. leave? You know what the accountant answered? All of it. <laughs> That's the way it is for us too. Here's something else that Jesus said a truth, and he told this truth through a story, a parable. Here's what he said. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then, who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Could it be? that God is wanting to remind us that money really isn't everything. And that when this life is over and it will end, our stuff, our money will be less than meaningless. The only thing that will matter is the treasures we store up in heaven. Ugh. Here's another church talking about money again. Gross. Listen, you got to understand, I hate it more than all y'all because it actually challenges my stubbornness in the area of generosity. But let me just share with you some quick Bible stats, okay? Did you know the Bible has about 500 verses on prayer? It has less than 500 verses on faith. And more than 2,000 verses on money. A, a whopping 15% of everything Jesus ever taught 
was on the topic of money and our stuff. You know, that's more than the teachings on heaven and hell combined. Could you imagine if we talked about money as much as Jesus did, there would be an exodus. So why do you think he placed such a high emphasis? Probably because Jesus noted there's a direct spiritual link between money and our hearts. Um, tradition tells us that Martin Luther once said, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook or, or wallet. Wouldn't it be something if during the, the scariest financial uncertainty of my lifetime, people who had never given before to a church chose this time to, in faith, to experiment, to, to take God up on his challenge, to try it, put me to the test, Malachi 3 says. The only time in scripture where God actually says, test me on this, you know, may, maybe you would just start with 2% of your income. It may feel like a lot. The biblical standard is actually the tithe, which is 10%, but 2% is going to feel like a huge step of faith. And so you, you just test God in that way and trust that he'll continue to meet all your needs and just see what happens to your faith and to your depth of relationship with the Lord and how it changes your heart. Maybe for those who already tithe 10%, you'd say, in the midst of this global financial meltdown, I'm going to put my money where my faith is and try 11%. Look, here's my motivation. Knack as a church is going to be okay one way or another. What I really want is for people to experience freedom, financial freedom, by learning to honor God first with their finance. Not in the boom years, not when it's easy, but in the scary time of uncertainty and financial crisis. There's a writer and pastor, John Mark Comer, and he uses this phrase, holy uncertainty. It's actually a desert father's term. You know, it means just being stripped of our idols and our attachments. You know, they say that middle-class Western people like me have the hardest time dealing with uncertainty. You know, people who grew up in poverty can deal with uncertainty better. People from war-torn countries can deal with uncertainty much better. The generation that lived through the, the Depression or World War II can deal with uncertainty better, have less anxiety, are calmer. Gen Z, even more so than millennials, have grown up in maybe the greatest era of affluence in the history of the world, and they are the most anxious generation in history, if, if the data is to be believed. Because if this pandemic has taught us nothing else, it's certainty is an illusion. <laughs> it's not real life, it's fantasy. Control might just be at the, the root 
of the undiscipled, faithless believer's life. Oof. Somebody just got real convicted. That's a whole sermon for another time. So maybe in this time of holy uncertainty, it would be gloriously ironic. It would be beautifully countercultural if we actually became more generous, if we trusted God more with our finances right now, right now in this ultimate uncertain time. I'll close with this. Several years ago, I heard this testimony um, of an elderly missionary who was returning home to the United States from, from his foreign mission field. He was gonna live out the rest of his, his years with his married daughter in the Midwest. And so upon arriving on the, the California coast, he boarded a, a bus to begin his trip across the country. And uh, the first night, the bus stopped in Las Vegas. Now he'd been out of the United States for more than 30 years, never been to Las Vegas. You ever been to Las Vegas? Um, he checked into a hotel and took a walk down the strip. I mean, it was close to midnight, but it looked like midday because of all the lights, all the neon. And as he walked down the strip, he saw uh, bands playing and loud music. He saw these amazing hotels and works of architecture. He went to this car show where he saw the world's finest automobiles. He saw the games being played in the casinos and he heard the, the money coming out of the slot machines. He saw the marquees, right? Announcing the most amazing entertainers in the world. He saw drink specials and advertisements for like amazing food and restaurants. Eventually, he, he goes back to his room in his high-rise hotel where he was staying. And he entered the room, but he didn't turn on the light. He just walked across the room and he opened up the curtains. And in the quietness of his room, he got on his knees in front of this window and he looked down on the Vegas Strip. And then he looked up to the even more impressive lights of the heavens. And he prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that tonight I haven't seen anything I want more than I want you. May it be so of us too, Lord. May it be so of us too. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. They, we really have been blessed in Canada. We are a blessed nation. And now we face um, a crisis. And it, it really puts us to the test what we believe. Will we trust you, Lord? Will we trust you with our finances? God, may we seek you first. May we seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. And then all these things will be added to it. You'll, you'll give us the desires of our heart. I think partly because as we pray, as we trust, you'll, you'll start to change the desires of our heart to, to be in line with your will. So we repent, Lord, the same way that the Psalm says some 
trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. Well, God, if we have trusted in RSPs or pensions or our portfolios or our investments or our liquidity, <laughs> we repent of it, Lord. We repent of our certainty. We put our trust in you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us in what might be one of the last um, church from home experiments that we have to do. Now, um, the genie is out of the bottle. Like we're not going back to not having an online presence, but uh, I think the day is soon where at least some of us can gather in person. We'll, we'll make sure it's safe. We'll keep you up to date. It's great to be able to watch church, to consume church in our PJs. It was never fully what God intended though, at least on its own. It, it's, it's great to watch church. Oh, but we are called to go, go and be the church. That's my challenge to you. Wrestle with what it means this week to be the church in our finances. So go, be the church. You are a love people. God bless you.